0: Good afternoon and welcome to Teratech's fiscal second quarter of 2018 financial results conference call. A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and will be archived on the investor relations section of the Teratech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, Teratech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factor section of the SEC filings. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note, as a safe harbor, any outlook we present is as of today, and management does not undertake any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, Terratex Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand the call over to Derek. Derek, please go
1: ahead. Hey, Phil. Thank you very much for the introduction. I appreciate it. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on our 2018 uh, Q2 report. Today on the call with me, I have Mike James, our CFO. A little bit later in the call, he's going to do a little bit of a deeper dive on the financial results. Uh, Right now, I kind of want to basically use this time to discuss the operational progress we've made uh, so far this year. So, Q2 2018 recap, I know the press release just came out and the Edgar filing just came out. During the second quarter of fiscal 2018, we focused on primarily, obviously, top-line growth, growth and revenue, but investing in build-out an infrastructure to support our longer-term growth strategy. Sales were mainly driven by strong performance at our Nevada dispensaries, as well as sales for our Bloom Santa Ana dispensary in Southern California. That's the one we acquired back in September of 2017. Both of our California and Nevada retail dispensaries continue to ramp sales to the adult use markets. A quick summary of the sales results, $8.7 million in top-line revenue for Q2. This was an 11% increase compared to the same quarter of the prior year. And also, as you read through, you'll see, as promised prior, we've been focusing extensively on gross margin expansion. So we've seen gross margin improvement over the same quarter in the prior year, but also over the same quarter, or obviously over the, uh, the quarter the prior quarter that we reported being Q1. So in today's call, I want to talk mainly about our investments in building out our infrastructure. We've made a meaningful progress since our last quarterly call, and as a reminder, we're building a vertically integrated seed-to-sale cannabis business that dominates key cannabis markets within the U.S, focused primarily on California, Nevada and also New Jersey. We've got our organic and locally grown produce, as you know, back in New Jersey, and we're trying to leverage that asset and that infrastructure to go for the new New Jersey permits uh, that are coming up here in a very short time frame. What I normally like to do, because we have a lot of new shareholders uh, that that join the company pretty frequently, I want to go over a geographical footprint of what our current infrastructure is. I want to talk a little bit about some of the work-in-progress permits that we have. I obviously want to talk about some of our strategic things that we have going on uh, and some of our plans for the upcoming 12, 18 months on a go-forward basis. So why don't we start kind of geographically in California. We'll jump over to Nevada, and I'll finish off with New Jersey from there. So starting in Northern California, working south, as many of you know, we have a retail dispensary in downtown Oakland. That was our first acquisition. That was the first vertically integrated, publicly traded cannabis company in the country that was actually touching the plant. That retail facility is doing very well for us. A lot of activity out of there. We see 800 to 1,000 patients a day. Um, So that was a very creative transaction for the company Also, we have an on-site cultivation up there. It's about 130, 140 lights. It's not a giant infrastructure. We tore that one down uh, several months ago to recondition it for the new regulations that California implemented. We had to make sure everything was up to code in there. Um, So we've done a rehab on that. We'll be lighting that infrastructure back up in the next couple months. And we're basically using that footprint to just grow a handful of unique proprietary strains that we think that they'll really enjoy up in the Bay Area that will service that retail footprint. Uh, In addition to that, migrating a little bit south of there, San Leandro, which is about 45 minutes, 30 minutes south of Oakland, uh, they've issued three permits there. No dispensaries have opened there. Our anticipation was we're closing out construction. We're working with the city. We hope to get our final permits um, signed off on. I don't want to give an exact time frame because so much of that is in the hands of the government in terms of when they pass off on the final sign-offs on the property and the use, But everything's tracking really well for us there, and we think we'll be open in the beginning part of Q4, and we think we'll be the first dispensary open in San Leandro, even though others got a head start on us in the permitting process there. So we're really excited about that location. It's right off on the freeway, very convenient parking. It's a good location. It's located proximate to a little uh, Mexican restaurant. For those in the Bay Area know La Piñata very well. It's been there forever, and it's very high traffic. So we're going to be able to work off their traffic flow, do some partnerships, and that type of thing to attract uh, our consumer base for that location as we ramp up into our grand opening. Um, I put out some estimates before. I think that's going to be a healthy location for us to drive top-line revenue and, and margin expansion for us for the company as a whole. Coming south from there, well, in addition, in St. Leandro, we also have an extraction lab that will be opening up. That will likely fall into Q1 of next year. That will be an additional Northern California footprint to, to uh, increase our extraction footprint for the company, for the production of uh, a handful of extra concentrate lines and beverage lines and some edible lines that we're going to be pushing out into the wholesale market in California as well migrating cell from there, in Santa Ana, as you know, we've acquired, a, we acquired a, a retail dispensary. We then took that retail dispensary and leveraged that relationship and that permit for a first mover advantage into this last round of permitting that we just had. So for those of you that aren't aware, we applied for three additional retail facilities, two that were wholly owned, and there was a third one, uh, which was a group that was going for a retail permit in the area, but they lacked uh, a history of operation in the uh, in the industry, which was something that they gave additional points for. So we partnered up for them with very little consideration out of our pocket, got 25% of that permit. We also won that permit. So we had a clean sweep in the Santa Ana marketplace. So now we actually have ownership of three wholly owned retail permits and one 25% interest in an additional permit in the Santa Ana marketplace. In addition to that, as you know, we purchased two buildings in the Santa Ana market, one of them on Dyer Uh, road, and one of them on Carnegie, servicing two entirely different demographics in the Santa Ana marketplace. Those facilities will also be permitted up for uh, cultivation, extraction, as well as distribution. Those three additional permits at each one of those locations will not be merit based. They're going to be giving those out by uh, zoning. And those properties that we that we secured meet the zoning parameters in the city. And as long as we pass the background checks, which we obviously do for retail, we'll be able to paper up each one of those facilities with a full suite of permits, being distribution, cultivation, extraction, and we already have the retail. So tremendous amount of value in having that vertical integration at one location for those two separate spots. The partnership uh, uh, permit that we secured uh, for the 25%, that's strictly retail uh, as far as that's concerned. So we've really parlayed that acquisition into tremendous success from a permitting standpoint and great expansion throughout the Santa Ana marketplace. One of the reasons we went so aggressive in Santa Ana is because all the surrounding cities, Irvine, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, you name it, there's so many of them that aren't permitting retail dispensaries or any cannabis business in, in and of themselves. And they might not do it for probably a couple few years. It's a huge opportunity for us to build out a significant Southern California presence and service those extra demographics through the delivery model uh, and that type of thing. So Santa Ana, for those of you that don't know, is really conveniently located, in what they call like the Orange Crush area, which is essentially where the 405 freeway. 57, 55, and the five freeway all essentially intersect. So you can't really get to the beach. You can't really get to anywhere in Southern California without at least crossing by a border of Santa Ana, which is what makes those permits and real estate so valuable for us. So we're going to begin that building out. The Dyer property we're building out is a large-scale commercial complex. It's a 45,000-square-foot building on three acres. We're doing a couple things. We're expanding that footprint up to a little bit over 50,000 square feet for the extra permits and we're going to be, again, developing a vertically integrated facility at that location, but at the same time, we're gonna be using that three-acre parcel for an event center. One of the things the industry lacks in general is the ability to host events Uh, out in the broad community. So we're talking utilization of this property for summer concert series, drive-in movie nights, cannabis festivals, farmers markets, you name it, we're going to be working heavily towards developing this property to become a destination area, which again is a differentiation for that location versus the competition that's in the local area. Um, The Carnegie location, we're in a kind of an internal debate, do we need that redundancy or do we want to leverage that and put that back out in the market and sell that to somebody and monetize it significantly to bring in the capital to the company? So I'm going to talk a little bit towards the end of this call about some strategy things that we're putting in place that will allow the company to raise additional capital to build out their, our portfolio without having to go back to the capital markets because everybody's concerned, ourselves included, about ongoing dilution. And we might have some ways to creatively maneuver around that using our core competencies. So that's Santa Ana. We're going to have a giant Southern California presence down here. We're pretty excited about that opportunity. In addition to that, we submitted an application into West Hollywood. We don't have a definitive timeline of when that will be notified. We applied for a retail dispensary as well as a social lounge for cannabis consumption. Our anticipation is that we find out likely sometime in the next 30 to 60 days, but we're going to keep close Watch on that. It was a very competitive environment. We'll obviously be thrilled if we're able to get a footprint up in the West Hollywood area. We think that will be a very accretive asset for the company. If not, obviously, we're doing the shotgun approach to organic permitting. As I said on the last call, we have backed off a little bit from the M&A strategy because the valuations are getting a little bit off the charts and went back to the organic permitting model just because to acquire an organic permit, you're talking a few hundred thousand dollars of time, effort, and energy and capital versus spending millions of dollars in the associated dilution that goes along with that to procure something through the M&A process. So, so far we've uh, had tremendous success, success for permitting in general. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we've won 100% of the permits that we've gone through in every jurisdiction. So that's a tremendous track record. We're thrilled with that. and We want to leverage that core competency in the future for other opportunities. Let's jump over to Nevada. We have four retail dispensaries in Nevada. We have one up in Reno and three around Las Vegas we have a 30,000 square foot cultivation facility up in Reno marketplace that we have in joint venture with New Leaf which is another retail uh in, in wholesale chain up in uh up in the Nevada marketplace where we have a great relationship the beauty of this for those of you that weren't part of the company or as a shareholder back in the day it was a tremendous leveraging point for us where we were able to basically push aside our organic build and do an investment with these guys and get a bigger footprint for less capital than we would have spent building our organic greenfield build. And then we got speed to market, obviously, because they were way ahead of the curve. So the relationship worked out great. We hope and anticipate opening up the extraction facility that we did in in combination with the 30,000-square-foot cultivation in the next couple months waiting on final permitting and final construction on that as well. And then, obviously, that will be the catalyst to introduce the IVXX brand and some other wholesale brands into the Nevada marketplace. The beauty of the relationship with the New Leaf team is they have two wonderfully successful retail locations, one in Las Vegas and one up in Tahoe, that we're able to leverage for the pushing of our wholesale product through their uh, shelf space as well. So it's a great partnership that we're delighted about and it's been working out very well for us. Um, For those of you that didn't see, um, we entered a contract to sell our Western location for about $6.25 million, and I want to give the narrative behind that. When you open up retail shops, I don't care if they're pizza shops, donut shops, sandwich shops, cannabis shops, you have great performers, you have poor performers. Um, You have the same mix of products, the same SOPs, the same sales strategies, but it's location, location, location. That particular street's a bit challenging to get to in and of itself, but in addition to that. We had a tremendous amount of competition that's opened up on that street. So sales aren't where we want them to be, and we have about $1.4 million of CapEx into that facility. So we figured, what a great opportunity. We've got another round of permitting opening up right now in the Nevada marketplace. So we're able to go after additional retail permits, which we are, and based upon our track record and our success last time, we feel extremely confident we're going to be able to secure additional retail permits in, in multiple markets throughout Nevada to replace this one. So for us, it was a great opportunity to to capitalize on those extreme valuations that are taking place, bring a tremendous amount of non-dilutive capital into the company that we can use to build out other projects without having to go back to the capital market. So leveraging a core competency to create capital, to build out other more creative opportunities for the company. So that's a primary focus. And I'm going to dig a little bit deeper to that a little bit later on into the call. So, that was the narrative behind that transaction. We think we'll be able to replace that with a better location in this next round of permitting, which, uh, which is opening up uh, uh, on September 1st. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited to have an answer back on that, I don't know, 60 days or so. They're pretty efficient when they're going through that process like they were last time. So we'll keep everybody posted on the permitting progress throughout the Nevada marketplace, the West Hollywood marketplaces, and all the other jurisdictions that we're going after. Um, in addition to that, let's jump over to uh, New Jersey. Um, as you know, we, we run a five-acre greenhouse back there that we grow produce. Uh, that produce is under the Edible Garden banner. We sell that produce through ShopRites, Diagostinos, Fairways, Stop and Shop, Walmart, um, those types of major, major uh, retail footprints. And we're excited about the growth of that. We've been building out a larger-scale pack house back there uh, to accommodate some additional line segments that we want to introduce into that retail footprint. We've had no business interruption back there. A matter of fact, we've seen an uptick in business back there since we've had the separation with the Van Breed family. So I know that's probably a question on some people's minds. So steady as she goes as far as the edible garden brand. And, again, we're now at that point we're going to leverage that infrastructure that long-term reputation that we have in the state to hopefully secure a permit in the New Jersey marketplace and one of the uh, vertically integrated permits that they're opening up uh, right now. So uh, that permitting process opened up on August 1st. We anticipate, and they've telegraphed, that they'll announce the winner on November 1st. Uh, our CFO, Mike James, this morning was in a mandatory meeting in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, that mand- mandatory meeting had well over 1,000 people at it. So it's going to be a pretty competitive environment, but not something we're certainly unused to. So we're going to essentially be going for a vertically integrated permit there which will cover extraction, cultivation, and a retail footprint. We're trying to secure property right now. More importantly than that, the, the, you have to put together a significant team, uh, local ownership, um, you know, people that have ties to the medical industry, that type of thing. So we spend a lot of our energy putting together a framework uh, that we think will ultimately result in a competitive application for the company. So we'll keep you posted on the progress as we go through the New Jersey applications as well. But, again, this reiterates what I said last quarter. We're really migrating right now away from M&A because of the high valuations, and we don't want the dilution associated with that going back to our core competency of organic permitting where we have a 100% success record shown again in Santa Ana where we had 100 100%, 100% clean sweep through every permit that we went for um, and we want to reiterate that in multiple marketplaces that we're interested in working in so i want to i want to finish with uh, the strategic investment ideology that uh, that we've kind of developed as a board so One of the things that I think has been frustrating for everybody, ourselves included, because again, we've converted all of our preferred shares to common shares. The entire corporate team is on the same level playing field with our shareholder base, the people that are on the call listening to me blabber today. That being said, we want to make sure that we take the most accretive direction with the company's footprint that returns the best return for our shareholders at the end of the day, ourselves included. So one of the things that we've uh, made kind of a bit of a business objective is is a two-pronged approach to the utilization of our capital and and, and resources. We're looking at strategic investments outside the company. There's a lot of go-public events. There's a lot of opportunities with these other companies that are quasi-competitors to us that are getting these extreme valuations up into Canada. So we are constantly looking to potentially deploy some capital and some accretive opportunities where we could turn $1 into something far greater than $1, use that increase to, again, fund our own organic growth, uh, maybe even some M&A, and, uh, and our infrastructure, CapEx and OpEx. So that's one of the things that we're going to attempt to do is to leverage our resources, the, the access to the deal flow that we have being a leader in the space, the fact that we were a bit of a pioneer in the first publicly traded company in the space and have done a tremendous amount of the heavy lifting. We've got, I think, a broad respect out there for our uh, the industry at large, and we're going to utilize that, that position in the marketplace to better leverage ourselves and utilize those resources to, again, get a better return on our capital to create non-dilutive capital for the building of our business rather than having to constantly go back to the capital markets. In addition to that, because we have had such great success in the permitting process, what our focus is now is to go for additional permits and markets that we're already going after permits for. So if our intention is to secure three permits in let's say Nevada, we're going to go for four. And hopefully we'll take that four if we're success, that fourth and if we're successful, and we'll flip that and sell that out to somebody else, utilize that capital, Um, to, to again, further our business objectives and and organic growth. So if you think about it, somebody's gonna get that permit anyways, they're gonna compete against us anyways. If we have oversaturation in the marketplace with our balloon retail brand, there's no sense in opening up an additional location to cannibalize our own footprint, so let's use our core competency to go after additional suites of permits and raise additional millions of dollars for the utilization of building out our other organic footprint. That's one of the things we're thinking about doing at the Carnegie Building in Santa Ana that we purchased for seven and a half million. We've got a 10.9 million offer on that property right now, so again, we are, we're going to start floating some of these opportunities out there for redundant permits and utilize those gains and that cash flow to build out our own infrastructure, again, without having a return back to the capital markets for everybody. And that will hopefully really put a dent in the amount of times we need to go back and issue shares to raise capital and, and or increase the bandwidth of opportunities that we're allowed to go after. So that's a key focus of the companies right now. You'll start to probably see some activity over the next 60 days around this, Again, we want to leverage that core competency that we have from a permitting standpoint, the success record that we had to bring in non-dilutive capital for the company to manage and maintain our growth objectives. So with that, let me take this time. We're going to, I always love the question and answer period. I want to leave some time available at the end of the call for that. I'm going to turn the call over to Mike James, our Chief Financial Officer, to do a deeper dive into the financial results, results for Q2 2018.
2: Thank you, Derek. Good afternoon, everyone. I will now provide you with a summary of our second quarter 2018 results. For the more detailed results, please refer to the press release we issued earlier today, which is posted on our website, along with the Form 10-Q filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that while we compile our financials under U.S. GAAP, including non-operating expenses... For the three months ended June 30th, 2018, we generated revenues of 8.72 million compared to 7.84 million for the three months ended June 30th, 2017, an increase of $880,000 or 11.2%. The increase was primarily due to 2.43 million higher revenues generated from the Nevada MediFarm dispensaries, primarily due to the implementation of adult youth sales in July of 2017. $450,000 in revenues generated by May Farm SoCal, which started operations in September 2017. A $930,000 revenue decrease in IBEX revenues as we are in the process of relocating the IBEX production facilities to an upgraded facility that will allow for an increase in production and achieve greater distribution throughout California. Project completion is estimated to be in the fourth quarter of 2018 and an $820,000 decrease in black oak gallery revenues resulting from higher California state excise tax rates affected January 1, 2018, which negatively impacted demand and a $210,000 decrease in revenues from edible garden. Our gross profit for the three months ended June 30, 2018 was $2.21 million compared to a gross profit of $1.51 million for the three months ended June 30, 2017. An increase of approximately $700,000. Our gross profit margin percentage for the three months ended June 30, 2018 was 25.3 million compared to 19.2 million for the three months ended June 30, 2017. The increase was primarily attributable to the cannabis segment as we reported higher revenues related to our fixed overhead costs. Selling general and administrative expenses for the three months ended June 30, 2018 were $8 million compared to $6.03 million for the three months ended June 30, 2017, an increase of $1.97 million or 32.7%. The increase was primarily due to a $950,000 increase in salaries and related payroll taxes due to new hires in the compliance department and overall headcount increases. A $590,000 increase in stock compensation related to employees' bonuses, and a $350,000 increase in other professional fees related to outside consultants implementing new accounting systems. We realized an operating loss of $5.79 million for the three months ended June 30, 2018, compared to an operating loss of $4.52 million for the three months ended June 30, 2017, an increase of approximately $1.27 million, or 28.1%. We incurred a net loss of $11.43 million, or $0.17 per share, for the three months ended June 30, 2018, compared to a net loss of 450000 or $0.01 for the three months ended June 30, 2017. Management will continue its efforts to lowering operating expenses and increase revenue. We continue to invest in further expanding our operations and a comprehensive marketing campaign with the goal of accelerating the education of potential clients and promoting our name and our products. Given the fact that most of the operating expenses are fixed or have a quasi-fixed character, we expect that as revenues increase, our expenses as a percentage of revenues will significantly decrease. Now turning to the balance sheet. On June 30th 2018 we had a cash balance of approximately 5.2 million compared to a cash balance of approximately 5.4 million at December 31 2017 we had no short term debt as of June 30th 2018 long term debt increased from approximately 6.6 million to approximately 12.8 million during the three months ended June 30th 2018 Stockholders' equity for the second quarter 2018 amounted to approximately $91 million compared to $76.8 million as of December 31, 2017. As of August 9, 2018, the company received $15 million under its $40 million line of credit commitment. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Derek for some closing comments.
1: Hey, Mike. And before I jump into closing comments and questions, I want to I touch on a couple things real quick. Some of you have probably read some articles about the California regulatory environment. I wanted to I wanted to touch on that a little bit. So when we when prior prior to the changeover in California regulations, as many of you know, for for 20 years California had a very loose framework around how it conducted its you know cannabis activities on the medical side, and it was almost kind of quasi recreational, if you will, because if you had you know a sore foot, you could go get a medical card. So when the regulation came on, come January and February. It was this weird time where a lot of the people weren't licensed in, in the turn of the year, so a lot of the wholesalers and the brands weren't able to secure their licenses. So instead of you know, selling to the regulated market, they were continuing to sell to the old market, if you will. Uh, there were some retailers that were not yet licensed, but they were still selling to, in, under the old market without having the heavy tax burden there were companies like ours that were had their act together and at the turn of the year had all their licensing in place. The problem was is our shelves were bare for a period of time. So where we had, you know, 75, 100 products, whatever they happened to be, um, you know, in December of, of last year, when we turned January, we probably had one-tenth of that, if that. So it was this weird kind of, you know, period of time where the dance party was open, but there weren't a lot of partners to dance with. And so that created um, some you know, hits to sales that hurt margins across the board, um, plus you know, the regulatory hurdles and, and bandwidth challenges associated, with, associated and the cost associated with getting licensed. Things are beginning to equalize now. There's a lot of the wholesale brands that now have their licensing together. The SKUs available for a retailer are much more broad at this point, and now there's an excuse to come into these stores versus the gray market, black market stores that had a better breadth of products come the turn of the year without the tax burdens associated with them. So the heavy regulatory burden put it, it really put a strain on the companies that were trying to do things right, unfortunately. But, again, that's one of the byproducts of regulation in general, and you've got to weather your way through it. So, the impact that we thought would happen from recreational sales come January just didn't happen. And it didn't happen for almost every player out there, and I think MJ Business Daily just wrote an article about the stress that a lot of these companies have incurred during the changeover timeframe, partly because nobody knew who they were able to do business with, breadth of product available, people aren't passing testing at this point, there's product recalls, there's some shortages in the market around certain skews, and that's just, again, something that's gonna to begin to continue to equalize. Where we're at today, there's plenty of skews. The business is beginning to equalize. Enforcement activities are starting to take place against noncompliant operators, not as aggressively as we'd like, but we're putting a tremendous amount of pressure back on the regulatory bodies to crack down on the gray market operators so that they don't continue to erode. I think there's a lot of upside left in California, especially when the business begins to migrate away from the gray market into the regulated market. Again, one of the problems has been is the layering of the tax burden, but consumers are starting to understand the difference between gray market product and regulated product and the biggest difference obviously is safety and you can't really put a price on that so the industry is trying to collectively get together to do a better job in explaining to the market at large um, that you know what you're smoking or what you're consuming on the gray market could really be harmful to you in a pretty drastic way and what's it worth to you to pay a premium. It's basically the whole organic produce model. There's a reason people paid a premium for organic and it's because of the potential health benefits, so we're trying to, you know, change the culture a little bit. But things are beginning to equalize. We feel comfortable where we sit right now. But it was a rocky Q1 and Q2 in the California marketplace for almost all the players. In addition to that, we commented a lot of infrastructure build. I did leave one thing out. Um, I, I generally don't go off a script on these things, as you can probably tell. I like to, you know, speak a little bit more freely. But we do have a 13,000 square foot cultivation facility up in Oakland that's coming online in the next couple months. That's going to be a pretty accretive uh, opportunity for the company. If you think about our company for the 30, you know, five, thirty-six million bucks that we did last year, most of that was retail derived at the end of the day. So we've been pretty much a pure retail play, and now we're building our, our, our manufacturing infrastructure into the retail footprint. We're going to continue to grow the retail footprint, but most of the product that we purchased has come from the wholesale market. And with the Dyer property, with the Hagenberger property, with 130 lights coming online at the on-site grow, uh, plus the extraction facilities, we're gonna be able to accommodate close to 50% of our own product from our own footprint. The margin expansion that we're gonna anticipate associated with that should be significant and severe. We're pretty excited about the opportunity to ramp that up. We're obviously also going to use that infrastructure for the continued development of our wholesale brand and to push that product out into the open marketplace, but again, you know, the, the lowest hanging fruit for us is to utilize as much of that product as possible to push through our own retail channel for the margin expansion. To give you kind of an a, an understanding of that, wholesale flour right now ranges anywhere from say 1,800 to you know 3,000 for you know really boutique providers a pound. The cost of cultivation should be about six or 700 a pound for indoor cultivation. You know, greenhouse. 300, outdoor, 100 and change, so there's a significant opportunity for us to get massive gross margin expansion once we light these facilities up. We're excited about the one in Nevada coming online, the 30,000 square foot one. The extraction facility will be online in the not-too-distant future, and over the next 12 to 16, 18 months, we're going to start lighting up all this infrastructure, the first being the on-site grow at Bloom and Hagenberger to support the retail footprint. And then, of course, the dyer property and uh, the extraction facilities coming on the tail end of that to, again, add additional product for our seed-to-sale vertical integration strategy. So we should see great uh, gross margin improvement just organically off the permitted footprint that we have right now, notwithstanding any other permits that we get organically or potential acquisitions that may take place. now our investment in infrastructure, both on the retail and cultivation sides of the business, that's really what's going to enable us to maintain our position as one of the largest players in the market right now. So with that, I'd like to turn this back over to Phil for some questions and answers, and then we'll have some parting comments. All right, first question.
0: Uh, what is the current status of construction and expected opening dates for the ongoing expansions, including San Leandro, uh, Dispensary & Kitchen, Oakland, Hegenberger Santa Ana locations, New Leaf Production Lab Partnership and the Healing Tree Collective Partnership location.
1: Geez, that's a lot of stuff, Phil. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna back away from giving exact timelines because I know what our construction timelines are with a buffer. What I don't know is when I have a finished facility and I go back to the city to get that stamped off for final permitting. Depending on what their backlogs are, that can run anywhere from two weeks to two months. So. I, that's the reason I hesitate. That's one of the reasons we didn't forecast for this year is because I can't really effectively build a model based upon what our activities are when there's a, let's say an impediment between us and the finish line being the final approval process. So I gave you some, I gave you some roughs, right? The Hagenberger, the San Leandro opportunities we see coming in a very short period of time and, and, uh, and those again should be relatively accretive for the company. The Dyer project, We're at the very beginning stages. Again, we just received the retail permit for that. We should be getting the cultivation and extraction and distribution permits within the next 45 days. Once those are in hand, we can completely start to develop the architectural and engineering drawings, take it out for bid, hire the company, get pull the permits, and start the construction process. Obviously, we'll finish the retail first. Those generally take us about six months to build out. So the reality is we'll open up the retail while we're still building out the rest of the infrastructure, and then the final piece will be the event center once the rest of the construction's done. So I'm a little bit hesitant to give a timeline on that uh, out of the gate just because we're at such a beginning stage on that, but that one's in our backyard, um, and and we can manage that one pretty effectively. So we think the retail will be open in, uh, I would say, in the next, say, nine months. At worst-case scenario, we've already gutted the entire building proactively on spec that we would win these permits, so that was an investment well spent, so we have a blank canvas to start from at this point, and and literally once we receive all the go-aheads, we can start construction immediately at this point. So I'll I'll make sure we do a really good job on upcoming calls and through the press releases of giving uh, investors updates on these projects Uh, As time goes on, I think we can probably do a little bit of a better job on that. So I'll commit to doing that on a more frequent basis so people can understand what projects are at what point at any given time.
0: Okay, next question. Uh, What's going on with the Van Breed lawsuit? Is there a set date or any idea when we will know the outcome?
1: Yeah, I'm just going to refer people back to the court filings and the court calendar on that. I really don't want to speculate outside of that. Again, the company feels very firm in its stance on what took place. We feel very confident in our position with our legal matters. And, um, you know, I owe it to our shareholders to make sure that we recoup and refoot what uh, what the damage that's been done. So that's, that's my objective on that is to make sure that I protect the hundred and something thousand shareholders that have put our, their trust in us, and we're going to work aggressively to do that. Okay. Uh, when can we,
0: in reality, expect Congress to actually vote on pending hemp, marijuana, CBD bills that are before them?
1: Uh, how about all the bills, right? And so on the, on the House side, we still have Pete Sessions. that's blocking a lot of this stuff that's going through. We're going to see some introduction on the Senate side. I feel very confident that something's going to happen at the federal level. The, the Pandora's box, is, the, the, the lid has been broken off at this point from my purview. Um, We're getting too much bipartisan support. The polling has just catapulted and steamrolled over everybody, and it's political suicide not to support at this point. However, um, 2020 is around the corner, and we've got a lot at stake, you know, for the Republicans and for the Democrats, right? They're all trying to protect their footing on the House and the Senate at this point. So I I don't think anything major is going to happen between now and then. I think there'll be a ton of dialogue. I think there'll be a ton of acceptance. I think we'll see a narrative beginning to develop even further than it already has, but I don't think we're gonna see any concrete uh, laws or anything like that. Maybe on the CBD side, maybe on the hemp side and, the, and that type of thing, we might see some concessions early on because it's not as, say, uh, pivotal of a, of a stance to take, if you will. Uh, but I don't think we're gonna see any legalization um, happen until at least the uh, 2020, 2020 elections are behind us. I, I hope I'm wrong, but That's kind of what we're building for, engaging for, which, again, is fine. If you see the consolidation that's taking place up in Canada and some of the big companies that are coming in, that's what I had said years ago that I thought would happen. I always said I thought the alcohol industry would be the best bedfellow, and now we see that coming to fruition. It's just happening in in a geography just north of us, unfortunately. But the fortunate part is it still gives us time to build out our brands and our infrastructure. I'm not ready for them to come in and, and, and start making acquisitions and investments at this point. I don't feel... I don't feel well-footed and well-heeled enough at this point. 12 months, 24 months, absolutely. I think we'll be where we need us to be at that point. So again, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. As much as I want that to happen, uh, I'm I'm happy with the time frame that's still out there. It gives us a bit of an incubated environment to continue to build our footprint out.
0: Okay, Uh, next question. Can you give us an idea of the gross profit percentage expansion you expect once the cultivation centers are fully operational?
1: Oh, that would be a back-of-the-napkin, and you do not want to see my back-of-the-napkin calculation. So uh, um, I will work on that. We'll work on that so we can kind of, you know, uh, put some of that out a little bit as we, you know, dip into some other press releases and some other calls. Mike's on the call now. That's one of the internal um, things that we've been kind of framing out is, okay, what do we want to apportion for the wholesale market? What do we want to apportion for our own retail? And what kind of accretive effect does that have on that gross margin some of the analysis that we have done is it's obviously significant because the cost of production is way below what the wholesale markets are, especially in the marketplace right now with the shortages and the fact that there's not a lot of clean tested flour available, you know, and like there was, you know, six or seven, eight, nine months ago. So um, it's going to be extremely accretive for us. You know, we'll try to, you know, we'll try to nail that down so we can have some discussions on that in some future calls.
0: Okay, Uh, next question, can you elaborate on the
1: marketing expertise of the management team and what the near-term marketing strategy looks like? I'm glad you asked that. That's actually where we've put a tremendous amount of investment over the last 60 days um, is building out our marketing team. That's one place I feel like we lagged a little bit as we were spending so much energy in building out our footprint infrastructure. If you look at our Let's Bloom Instagram page, you're going to see an entirely different look and feel. One One of our focuses is this. Cannabis consumers that have been here historically aren't going anywhere. And we want to make sure we spend a lot of our time, effort, and energy servicing that cannabis consumer. However, I'm sure a lot of you shareholders on the call have a lot of friends that have asked about products, have maybe said, you know, I've tried this, or I've tried that, or they're curious about edibles or vaping and that type of thing. We're really steering our marketing to cater towards that consumer that's just on the edge to come into our industry as a replacement for alcohol or something else, but they need some education. They need that red carpet rolled out for them. They need that introduction. They need it demystified, right? They need to understand what happens inside these facilities. So we're going to be doing everything from YouTube red videos um, to uh, uh, online uh, video campaigns, so people can understand what's going on. Heavily focused on social media, people have built huge businesses. If you look at uh, You know, Fashion Novas and those types of companies, they built tremendous businesses on social media alone. We're gonna be kind of basically utilizing that model for our own advancement. And we ultimately know sometime in the not too distant future, a lot of these sales are gonna be happening under the Amazon type model, online, and we wanna make sure we have the infrastructure to be able to service that, and we wanna make sure that we have strong brand reputation in that digital environment. So we've hired digital analytics firms, digital media firms, we're rebranding our Bloom effort and from a social media standpoint. We're doing a lot of collaborations out there. We're sponsoring a Snoop Dogg concert down here. Um, we're, really, we're doing some stuff with Food Beast. We're really tapping into the food and beverage culture uh, and that type of thing. So We're really tra- trying to attract another uh, a consumer base that we think is on the fringe of buying, but we think it will actually be one of the highest growth areas in the marketplace, according to our, our due diligence. So. We're excited to showcase that. If you look at Let's Bloom on Instagram, you'll start to see some of the changes in terms of how we stylize these into, into um, kind of lifestyle branding model, and uh, we're really going to put a lot of emphasis in carrying that forward uh, over the next uh, 12 to 24 months.
0: Okay. Uh, the next question, with the advent of a growing global medical and recreational uh, marijuana market at hand, does Teratech have any interest or involvement in international sales?
1: International sales, you know, as I've said frequently, we're very focused on California, Nevada, and New Jersey. We want to build out the biggest footprint we can in those marketplaces. California is the sixth largest economy in the world. In a perfect world, you know, if we were Canada and had federal legalization, and we had three, four, five billion dollar market caps off the business that's our size, which is happening up there and capitalizing with hundreds of millions of dollars, we would have the bandwidth and infrastructure to be able to do that. But we have to work with what we have, and what we have is a bit of a different environment. And so we're going we're to make sure we monetize that different environment as strategically as we can. And it's a no-brainer for us to saturate the California marketplace. That's where the growth is at. California is a gargantuan market, and, and we've got the infrastructure and the reputation here. We're really going to try to snowball effect that through the Los Angeles marketplace dipping down into San Diego, building out a different, different infrastructure, and really putting our brand on the map in this market, and then obviously carrying that back to Nevada, and then hopefully exposing it to the New Jersey marketplace.
0: How is Terratech Corp. preparing to be uplisted to a national exchange?
1: I mean, we've done a tremendous amount of it already, right? I mean, as frustrated as we all are, you know, with the performance of the equity since the reverse, you know, that was one of the things that we did to position ourselves to to meet the standards. Uh, The corporate governance side, Sarbanes-Oxley, Sox 404 compliance, uh, all that type of stuff. We really tried to put the nuts and bolts together. And I've used the analogy before. When that party opens up, I want to make sure I'm at the front door dressed in my best tuxedo. And I think we're close to there. Uh, there's not much more we need to do to prepare ourselves, but I don't think the exchanges are going to be ready through our dialogue until we see some movement from a, from a federal level. Um, that's just kind of the feedback that I've been getting, uh, for those that are touching the plant. Those that are on the periphery are still, you know, having a challenging time. They will, of course, list people in Canada that have no U.S. operations that are conducting something that's still federally illegal. That's the, uh, that's the preventative factor from us uplisting right now, but, Internally, we're doing everything we can across the board to be prepped for that. So when the time comes, we can jump on that opportunity as quickly as possible.
0: Okay. Next question: uh, What are the reasons for selling the Western Ave property in Nevada?
1: Now that one I answered during the call, so I think we're okay there. You know, again, we had about 1.5 million bucks of. CapEx uh, and and investment into that uh, facility made sense for us to, to pull out a few million bucks and utilize that for the development of some other projects without having to go back to the capital markets. And I wouldn't have done that if we didn't have this next round of permits coming up. So the opportunity for us to secure replacement permits and even more permits than that on the retail front um, we feel pretty good about we feel pretty good about it because one of the things the jurisdiction did back there is that that competitive environment is not open to everybody in the world. That competitive environment is only open to those that hold medical marijuana operational certificates with either cultivation, extraction, or retail. So it's a very small pool of applicants that are going to even be able to compete for these. So, we feel pretty good about our positioning there about replacing that, and the ability to be able to monetize that will mean we don't have to go back to the capital markets for that particular investment and we can utilize that for the growth of some other area of the company.
0: Okay. Uh, Next question What are management's next steps in New Jersey as the state heads towards legalization?
1: Uh, Putting the team together, putting the narrative together, putting the application together, securing the real estate, all of that's in progress. We ramped up even ahead of the open window. Um, and we think we're going to have a very competitive application and a very good demographic back in Jersey um, that we think will be a very competitive environment. And the beauty of that is, um, we again think New Jersey is going to fast track adult use. So this is expanded medical. Once we once we obtain that license, uh, we believe that once they pass the medical ordinance, that will be grandfathered into the medical or the adult use ordinance will be able to into the adult use sales, which give us a bit of a first mover advantage in that marketplace back there. So. Much of our time, effort, and energy is to, to develop that application, submit it, and hopefully um, our 100% success record carries forward to that environment. Okay.
0: And last question, Derek. Uh, can you comment on the consolidation in the in, in the industry, especially with what we are seeing in Canada and the valuations those companies are
1: getting? Uh, <laughs> you got to finish on that note, do you? Um <laughs> When I when I left Wall Street to start TerraTech, you know, we, we started as an equipment company and then we pivoted over to cannabis once that started getting some traction. My strategy was always this. Raise capital, build some infrastructure, raise some more capital, take the company public, raise some more capital, build some infrastructure, get some federal legalization, jump up onto the NASDAQ, Get a major market cap expansion because you know it's a limited supply of opportunities, and there's going to be a bunch of capital chasing those opportunities. Use that expanded market cap to raise some significant capital. Start jumping all over the globe and, and creating in, in, in opportunities abound. Um, and I was right. I was wrong on the geography. That's happening, and it's happening in Canada, as everybody's aware of. Companies our size are getting unbelievable valuations and raising a tremendous amount of capital. So. What we've done as a board and what we've done as an executive team is we've really taken a hard look over the last 30 days on how we can creatively participate. And so I'm talking to everybody. We've built out an unbelievable footprint with our company with very limited resources. We've built out, I think, great brand adherence. We had a good first mover advantage. You know, we've got people calling the company. We've got people interested in having conversations with us. So, we're out there in the field right now looking for strategic opportunities that can position our shareholders to, for, for the best creative and accretive benefit possible. So, um, am I continue to focus on, you know, building, building the business, building the retail footprint, expanding our, our, our manufacturing arm, developing our brands, getting brand adherence, and that type of thing? Absolutely. Am I also, and is our executive team also looking at great opportunities where we could create a one plus one equals three type scenario? you got to bet your life on it. I'm out there talking to everybody, coming up with creative opportunities for us to leverage our position in the marketplace for A, strategic investments, for B, for utilizing our core competency on permitting to create more capital for the company that we don't have to pull out the capital markets, and third, to utilize our footprint and our first mover advantage and our reputation for looking for everything from consolidation to strategic opportunities to joint ventures to Everything you can imagine. So our, our team, we have a very sophisticated board with the appointment of Alan Gladstone. He built out a 500 million dollar company with, uh, with 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 you know 5,000 employees. Steve Ross, who's got a tremendous amount of experience in in mergers and acquisitions and running pubcos. We've got a good team and we've got a great advisory team behind the company as well. And you guys are seeing big names and big companies and, and big opportunities coming into the space, the alcohol industry, um, et cetera, and so forth. So Believe me, we are out there in the middle of all those narratives, and we are going to figure something out that creates extreme value for the shareholders. That's my focus because I'm one of those common shareholders. So I will um, – if, if that's the last question, Phil, I will, uh, I will end on that. Do you have any other questions, or was that the last one? That's it. I'll flip it back to you for closing. Okay. So my commitment to everybody is to give better transparency on an ongoing basis to what's going on with all these, um, these facilities that we're building out. Uh, to give better transparency into what's going on in the permitting processes as we work through these permits in multiple jurisdictions. Um, and then again, I'm going to give, you should see some activity in the strategic investment area because we're having a lot of, you know, conversations around that. That's a business focus of ours and we hope to bring some accretive opportunities to our shareholders in the not-too-distant future. So, we, uh, we're going to get better about communicating with people across the board on an ongoing basis. And I want to use this to just say thank you. We've got a lot of long-term shareholders. I think we're close to 120,000 right now. I see a lot of the same names I've seen four or five years ago. I get the frustration of what's going on with the volatility in the market cap. Don't think that doesn't affect me. Don't think that doesn't keep me up at night. And don't don't think that doesn't cause me to come up with creative solutions on how to make everybody get a good return out of our company. I'm not going anywhere until we get a creative and substantial return for our shareholder base. And that's a commitment I've made since day one. And I will, I will succeed at that. Our management team will succeed at that. I, I will tell you that. That's something that's an extreme focus of ours. I'm not going to let anybody down on that. We've got a great opportunity, a great infrastructure, a great footprint, great access to capital. Fundamentally, we're in the best position that we've ever been in, and the market's not rewarding us for that. And so I'm going to figure out how to fix that, and I'm going to end on that note. Thank you on behalf of the Board of Directors, our executive team. I want to thank our auditing team for the effort and energy they put into driving these uh, reviews and annual audits home for us. It's a very complex business with all the cash and moving pieces. Phil and Stuart, thank you for you guys hosting this. And most importantly, for the several hundred people that are on the call today, thank you for the trust, time, effort, and energy you've spent with us.